This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. Here's some of what we've got to talk about on today's show. If you just get an EMT license and if you don't do anything with it, it also looks like you just got it just for the sake of having it on your app. It's tempting to look at shadowing as a hoop that you have to jump through. I would encourage you to think of it as a super valuable thing to do. With me today in the SCP studio, it's a ragtag fleet of medical students. Let's say hi to M1 Matt Angleton. Howdy. We've also got Mackenzie Walhoff. She's an M4. Jacob Hansen has a mic. Sure do. (laughs) And new co-host Happy Kumar who's an M1, is with us as well. Welcome to the show, Happy. Wait, what year is Jacob? Didn't I say? M1. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you guys, you're all in ones? Yeah, you sure are. Yeah. You're in a position to influence people. <sighs> I was like, I'm, I better get my cane and my walker here. <laughs> hey guys, I'm happy. I'm uh, happy to be here. Uh, there you go. <laughs> and I'm from Columbia, Missouri. What were you doing before med school? I went to college at the University of Missouri, Columbia, where I graduated in 2020, right whenever the pandemic hit. After that, I volunteered in a home of soup kitchen for a couple months. I worked as a scribe for eight to five for about a year. And during that year for six months, I was an EMT during the evenings and the occasional weekends. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? I wanted to be a doctor since as long as I could remember. My older brother wanted to be a doctor, and I think that kind of rubbed off on me. But whenever I grew older, I kind of figured out my own reasons why I wanted to enter the field of medicine. How have you found your first year in in med school? My first year of med school has been fun. The highs are high, the lows are low, but those high highs really do make up for those low lows. Nice. Well, good. I'm glad to have you on on the show today. I feel like your name is is auspicious, so (laughs) you must get that a lot. Did you choose that name? Did somebody choose that name for you? Uh, My parents kind of chose it for me. My real name is Shrey, and that's what I went by whenever I was like at home in Missouri. It just kind of happened when I was in elementary school. But at home and with close family friends, it was always happy. My parents actually never even call me by my actual name. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's how childhood nicknames, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. It just kind of stuck, and I prefer it to Shrey at this point. Nice. Well, good. We want to start off the show today with a listener question from Preston. Preston's torn mm-hmm. about his next move. Preston, take it away. My name is Preston, and I am currently a sophomore studying biochemistry at Iowa State University. I know I want to pursue a profession in the medical field, but I can't make a decision on which type of schooling I want to attend. I am personally very interested in pharmacology school, but I feel like if I choose that route, I am closing off specialties that I might get to explore if I go to medical school instead. Also, it would be a dream to attend the Carver College of Medicine. To Dave, I always wait till the very end of the podcast to hear you say, don't let the bastards get you down. (laughs) It's my favorite part, 
and it genuinely makes my day better. Love the podcast, and thanks for your time. Wow, your favorite part of the podcast is the thing that I say at the end, which is good. I'm glad you wait until the end to listen to the show. However, I will point out that that is the part I spend the least amount of time on. So <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know what to say about that. So, all right, Preston, D or MD? I feel like part of the struggle for young people in... In, is figuring out like all the jobs that are out there, even within a field. And I, I don't know how many people find their final career as a young person. Probably not very many. But it's so hard to like, like even if you've chosen, like I want to be in medicine in some way. There's so much out there. One of the things I've learned from y'all about being a physician is the huge number of things that you can eventually do and everybody always talks about specialization but there's also you know like your patient population your particular expertise within your specialty whether you you know eventually want to get into hospital administration academia academic administration all kinds of jobs within those areas really amazing thoughts about that yeah it's definitely a tough decision i think you know the best thing to do especially if you're concerned about you know, doors being closed is to talk to current pharmacists as well as current physicians and then, you know, look at job prospects in the future. I think I know this was a conversation we were having on the Short Coat Podcast Facebook page. And, you know, there were some several good comments about the fact that the job market for pharmacists is a bit challenging right now, especially in terms of competitiveness of getting into a clinical, like a hospital job versus working in a pharmacy. And it, it, it is very competitive right now. It is There's a lot of people, I think, that have had to settle maybe not doing what they originally thought they were going to do when they came into pharmacy school. But there's also, you know, what do you like about pharmacology? Is it that you like the research and development behind it? Do you like the patient interaction behind it? Because I think you can still get a lot of that from the medical side as well, especially, you know, if you're competitive enough that you might want to do like an MD, PhD, you know, side and maybe do a little bit more research into that. Like you said, Dave, there are job opportunities after medical school, even if you don't want to see patients, you can get your MD and you can go into the pharmaceutical industry with whether that's like consulting or, or whatever. So I think there's a lot, I think there's not necessarily a bad option, but just like talking to people will help maybe make that a little bit more clear. What's you said that the job prospects in pharmacy are, are declining. Is that what you were? It's been tricky. So I'm, I follow white coat investor mm-hmm. and This has also been a conversation that people have like asked on White Coat Investor. And most of the pharmacists that have commented have not commented particularly positively about the, I guess, just maybe the ease of getting into hospitals in terms of like, because you have to go through a pharmacy um, residency to do hospital type stuff as well. I think it's a two-year residency, depending on what you do, and then it can be like an additional year as well. But it's it's competitive. It's a match process as well, similar oh, okay. to what we go through for our residency. And are these what they call clinical pharmacists? Is that yeah, what yeah. You're, yeah, so, th- so I thought that was kind of interesting for a guy like Preston who might want to 
work with patients, you know, one, one, might want to have the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. basically. It sounds like these folks work, work with clinicians and patients more closely than, say, what I usually think of when I think of pharmacists, which is drugstore pharmacists. They seem to, these guys seem to specialize according to the patient population. So, mm-hmm. you know, they might specialize in hormone replacement pharmacology if they work with an endocrinology mm-hmm. practice. Oh, and I love our pharmacists. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, they're they're pretty important to the to the to patient care. I mean, they work their asses off too. The residents know. work a lot. Like think medical residency hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're doing 70-80 hour weeks as well. So that might be something to look into. You can visit the American College of Clinical Pharmacy for more info on that. Obviously, we are very you know we're, just, my, we're, we're a minority here in that we don't have any pharmacists in our group. Yeah, so. we're, we're just a little bit making shit up right now, mm-hmm. but uh, that's fine. There's other jobs too. Pharmacy clinical workflow specialists who work with uh, clinic staff and IT staff to manage and optimize workflows for things like controlled substance management. Mm-hmm. Medical, I saw, I saw a bunch of jobs looking for medical writers um, reviewing clinical and regulatory documentation like clinical study reports, protocols, briefings, summaries for marketing, other types of stuff. That might lead to something. I mean, that might not sound... Uh, very exciting to some people, but it might lead to other things. Medical consulting in the TV industry, I think sounds like the coolest job <laughs> ever. Grey's Anatomy has a medical consultant that's at least like making comments about certain things, sure, you know. Sure. That's a job. And you also have to remember that the science isn't always going to no. be uh, be part of it. isn't always going to be right in service of the story. So. I found, here's an antimicrobial resistance specialist. That might have a future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's probably growing future. I would uh, imagine. I agree with the advice, like for Preston to like talk with pharmacists, talk with physicians, kind of like see like what he wants to do. Um, for me, one of like my tenets of life is I want to live with no regrets, or if there are going to be regrets, live with the least amount of regrets as possible. Mm-hmm. And between like medicine and pharmacy, like. Medicine is going to have a lot more sacrifice between me and my friend who got into pharmacy school and we started off in, as freshmen and undergrad together. She got into pharmacy school earlier and she's graduating earlier. She had an easier time of it, but I'm going to be more involved with my patients later on. And for me personally, I feel like that's going to give me more patient satisfaction. And honestly, my question for Preston is like 20 years down the line, how do you see your job and how you interact with the medical field? And along with that, pretending as if you go into pharmacy school, would you regret not going to medical school? And if you go to medical school, would you regret not going to pharmacy school? And which one would you regret not going to more? I think um, what you're getting at here is is something that we've heard from, we heard from Amy Perlman. She's a urologist. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking with her a while back about her specialty. And, and one of the bits of advice that stuck out in my mind from that episode was, you know, try to think about, you know, when you're trying to plan your career, try to think about what you can't live without. And let that be the sort of guide for, for you in, in picking a career or picking a specialty. And you can even use that at this point when you're trying to pick a school, pick a mm-hmm you know, MD or PharmD, you know, what can't you live without? Like, and, and that means that you're going to have to spend some time understanding what it is you can't live without. And, you know, if he hasn't started yet, he should shadow pharmacists. Oh yes, Of all stripes. 100%. 
And doctors of all stripes. And doctors of all stripes. Healthcare workers of all stripes. Oh, yeah. I Especially mean, like as a sophomore in college, like obviously you're getting down to like the point where you need to make a decision, but you still have a lot of time. And there's a huge difference between like what say an endocrinologist does and what a trauma surgeon does. And so trying to figure out like not only do I want to be a doctor, or do I want to go into pharmacy school, kind of figuring out like what about each of them interests you? Because there's a lot of overlap in the things that certain specialties do with pharmacists, but then there's also a lot of, you know, not overlap between them. Kind of going to what Matt was saying, yeah, definitely taking a, a look at like what's out there just as medicine's very diverse, so so is pharmacy. I'm a little mm-hmm. embarrassed to say that like for, for years and years and years, I knew that my aunt was a pharmacist, but I had no idea what she actually did. Because mm-hmm. as you said earlier, Dave, like when I think of a pharmacist, I think of the person at the drugstore store who's going to get me my xyz but yeah like she does like more like research and development and there's plenty of other things out there in clinical uh medical writing whatever the case may be just as there is such a large scope like medicine is such a large scope actually happy and i we're both still very much figuring things out he went shadowing right before he came here and i'm going shadowing right after we wrap up here so we we still have a long ways to figure out exactly what we want to do and what we think we want to do is something that we want to you know keep pushing forward and pursuing and like most medical students don't even figure out what they want to do until like their third year if they're lucky yeah or fourth year (laughs) i still dual applied and didn't technically decide until i submitted my rank list so right up to the last minute I'm sure that'll be some of us. Yeah. Actually, it's a lot of us. This a year. lot of us. It's not It's not super uncommon. Because you like multiple things. That's, what, know, that's the unfortunate part about medicine is at some point when you do eventually apply, it, part of medical school is not just figuring out what you like. It is figuring out what you'd be okay giving up because yeah. there isn't really yeah. any specialty you choose that you can do absolutely everything. And that can get tricky. You can always go back and do more, right? Yeah. Do another residency. And I, yeah, so. like, no, that's no problem. <laughs> There's no problem at all. Yeah, I've wonderful. known people who've done it. I yeah. mean, and, it's getting and, harder, though. And it, you know, it's a, it's been a thing anyway. I was going to say the other thing about shadowing is that I think it's tempting to look at shadowing as a, as a hoop that you have to jump through to get into medical school. I actually would encourage you to think of it as a super valuable thing to do. Yeah, because among the questions your interviewers for med school are going to be asking you or thinking about when they're interviewing you and making decisions on your application is why do you want why does this person want to be a doctor? And if and if you can't answer that question, like I want to be a doctor and not X, not a pharmacist, I want to be a doctor and not a nurse, I want to be a doctor and not, you know, some sort of technologist you know, if you can't answer that question or, you know, indicate that you've really thought about it, you know, they're not going to hang their hat on you because you might disappear halfway through, you know, medical school because you realize, oh shit, there's a lot about this I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I know that this is more of like a wider scope question than just for Preston, but it's something that we've talked about. Sure. However many times in the podcast, which is that like, you know, as much as sometimes you hate you know volunteering or getting those hours that you have to like the reason that they make us do that is so that way when they ask us those questions we can have an answer that like is believable but it doesn't really matter whether the answer is believable to adcom it has to be believable to the person that's actually saying it like if if you're like writing down an essay and like just reading off a paper why you want to go to med school or pa school or whatever you want to go to farm school 
and you don't actually believe it yourself, then having the drive to, like Happy said, have those low lows and recover and bounce back to have those high highs, you need to believe that you're there for a reason and yeah. it's the choice for you. Yeah, you need to believe wholeheartedly in that. Otherwise, it's going to be a, a tough slog. Yeah. So one thing that I had heard about, kind of one of the reasons that they really encourage shadowing, it's not only just figuring out, like, is, you know, is this something you want to do? Like, do I want to be working with the patient population in the way I am as a physician versus like a nurse or a technologist, like you said, but it's also kind of seeing that like there, there are a lot of areas at healthcare that are for better for, I mean, they're pretty broken yeah. for lack of a better term. And is it like, it's a very long road, you know, between undergrad, between med school, residency, fellowship, if you choose to do so, is that something that you're willing to put up with essentially yeah. is yes you want to work with your patients and you want to make them better but what about the stuff behind the scenes what right, about right. the administrative work what about the paperwork yeah. what about just the stuff that do you really know what do, that stuff yeah, is? do you really want to do that but to put a little lighter spin on things is it is great to be able to figure out what you like and what you don't like mm -hmm. so actually matt i've known him since we were in elementary school and I'm very excited to be able to go on this journey through medical school with him. It is something that we've both wanted to for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I wanted to go into medicine is because of his dad, who was a graduate here at Carver. And um, he was a really big inspiration for me. He was a radiologist. And for much, much, much of my life, I'm like, I'm going to be a radiologist. Like, I think it's like the coolest thing. I as I talked about last time I was on the show, like I really like uh, taking pictures. I love imaging, things like that. But I'm also here on the podcast. I like talking to people. And I found out that that is something I'm not willing to give up. Mm. So as much as that seemed very cool and very interesting, I don't think that's going to be me long term just because of there. I figured out like things that like I was willing to give up and things I wasn't willing to give up. Yeah. And me being the very social person I am would make job my job very challenging yeah the exact same thing happened to me basically the same way my dad took me and loved watching what he did like knew i wanted to be a doctor from a really young age but then once i got into shadowing other specialties i was like the thing i got out of it wasn't like the specific cases like at least at the time like i found them interesting but it's not like man i could operate on knees for my entire life but it was like how do you explain problems to patients? How do you communicate with patients? How do you make them feel more comfortable in the hospital setting? How do you make them feel more comfortable around you and what's happening with their body? And all of those things are the things that, like, I don't know what I want to do yet, but knowing that what I want to do is talk to patients and communicate with patients and make them feel more comfortable are all things that I know I want going forward. So in addition to just figuring out, like, do you want to be a doctor? Then it's like, what aspects of being a doctor are the ones that are going to make you want to wake up in the morning and go back after a long previous day? Mm -hmm. And like the field of medicine is very rewarding. So whenever I scribed in the family medicine, medicine clinic last year, the doc that I scribed for, it was his 44th or 45th year practice. And he said that he was going to retire literally whenever he woke up and realized he hated his job. Luckily, he still looked forward to his job every single day, and his number one issue was that he was getting older and had to retire and didn't want to retire because he loved it so much. Mm -hmm. Whereas me, being his scribe, I didn't really enjoy it that much in terms of like just the mental stimulation I was getting from the clinic. So when, whenever you're shadowing someone, something that I would ask is like, what, like, what do you love about your job? What do you hate about your job? 
And what's like the bread and butter kind of like daily occurrences that you're going to be running into in terms of like the work you're going to be doing? And, uh, and I would say also follow up on that question, you know, like if they just right. say, oh, I hate the paperwork. Well, what do you mean? Right. What is that? And you know, why is that such a bad thing? You know, like make sure that you really delve deeply into these questions right. so that you just don't get surprised by the answers later. Right. <laughs> and so if we're going to talk about the Femi Medicine doc that I described for, he loved the patient relationships. He was seeing like the great grandmother, the grandmother, the mother and the daughter at this point. He's going to work. It was like he felt like he was talking to his friends all day. The big disadvantage that he hated was the paperwork, which is why he hired a scribe, <laughs> me, to deal with all of that. And then like the bread and butter is just a lot of stuff like medication checks up, checkups, hypertension refills, diabetes A1C checks, which he found to be really fulfilling, which is why the job is great for him. But I didn't really find to be that mentally stimulating, which is why I'm not going into family medicine. Fair enough. And that's not to say that, kind of going back, because I know right now my parents are like, but radiology is good. Well, you know what? Radiology is very good. Radiology is good. I love Matt's parents. We we love Matt's parents. Matt's parents are friends of the show. They are friends of the show. Shout out to Jack and Michelle. Shout out to Jack and Michelle. But Matt's parents, Matt is a a person in his own right. (laughs) And he needs to be able to make choices for himself. Like whether to leave his socks on the floor, right, Michelle? That's right. (laughs) I'm not a slob. Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show. And the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to theshortcodes at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. It's interesting hearing all of you, like, you guys are still first year. So it's, like, interesting thinking back to, like, what I was thinking about as a first year and how going through clinical rotations, what was important to me then and what I looked at then and what made me like what helps me make my decisions. And I think one thing that's going to be very, very, if I can make a recommendation yeah. is don't listen to what other people tell you that they think that you should be doing. Because I heard that all the way through. Oh, you, I could see you being a surgeon. I could see you being a pediatrician. I could see you doing this. And it's like, I think that's well-meaning. It, it is. It's they, well-meaning, they, they but want, that they, doesn't they, necessarily help. Yeah. So don't let yourself be influenced by that mm. or by what Reddit tells you is a great lifestyle or by what definitely don't go on student doctor network. Definitely not that <laughs> one. Most of the people that are posting online are people that aren't happy with their jobs anyways. So just make sure that you are paying attention to what actually makes you happy and not don't listen to the residents listen to the attendings the attendings are like and that's also one of the problems with clinical rotations is most of the time you're going to be working with residents and you're going to have no idea what the hell the attendings are doing the other you're going to see your attending for like a couple hours a day and still have no idea what the hell they're doing the other like eight hours of their day but talk to them and see how happy they are and how satisfied they are and also how happy they are when they're not at work because if they can't tell you anything about their lives outside of work, that might mean they don't have a life outside of work, which whether or not that means they're just a really lame person or whether or not that's not allowed. It's hard to sometimes tease that out. But that would be my recommendation is just like figure out what you like when you're there. Like what what makes you happy? What rotation do you wake up and you're actually like kind of you don't you're not going to be excited to go to work every day like when you're waking up at four o'clock it's okay if you're not excited about that but like once you're there is there like a rotation where you actually want to stay past when your resident tells you to go home because you're enjoying what you're doing and like the stuff you're studying for actually you find invigorating versus the days that you're 
standing in a corner and bored out of your mind watching somebody do you know that you mentioned um, any sort of physical exam you mentioned people who tell you oh you i could see you as x Mm -hmm. the other piece of advice not to listen to this one's kind of obvious but you'll probably hear at some point you're too smart to mm-hmm. be or you're too nice to work in family medicine or you're, you're so, too nice you're to so, be a surgeon that's what a lot of people get is you're so good with patients yeah i don't think you should give that up you will you will st- i you, i hear you guys saying that like i love talking to people you will talk all day long to lots of people no matter what specialty you go into because you will always be working with co-residents or co-physicians or nurses or techs or whatever you will be talking to someone and there's just different specialties where you get to choose how much you talk to people i did a full year of pathology and you talk to people all day long you are constantly blah 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 talking to each other even though you think of it as more of like doing work by yourself because the pathologists are just so good about being able to do their job and like write down diagnoses while also having a conversation about a sports game or where you're going to go hiking on the weekend while doing their work. And it's, so it's, it's, you, you never will completely lose that, like the ability to talk and have good conversation with people. There's, I can't think of any specialty where you have to give that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, if somebody says, I, and I've actually read this, you know, read, or I've also heard about this sort of, a, you're too smart to be in family medicine. Or, oh, they're the smartest like, physicians yeah, I've ever met. Yeah, wouldn't want a smart family medicine physician? You know? I met like, an ophthalmologist who was out of residency by a year, or a fellowship by a year, and he couldn't name more than one high like but high blood pressure medication anymore and it was like you ophthalmologists are the ones that typically have really really high scores are the smart ones he'd forgotten everything that didn't have to do with the eye and that's so, fine you know that's fine it's, it is fine the eyeball yeah. is a, you is, ask a family med doc they probably know more medications more diseases more presentations than anybody else you'll ever meet we got a little far afield for uh yeah for, for pharmacy for preston's uh <laughs> question but i hope we've driven home the point that you know now's the time to start gathering this information and to continue gathering this information about what you do and what you don't want and what you and what you are willing to give up and aren't willing to give up so that you can make an informed decision and you won't regret things later on in life no regrets no regrets right happy no regrets that's right and the information gathering really doesn't stop because i know you've mentioned like we have clinicals for a long time to figure out what we want to do my for the summer i'm going to be spending eight weeks rotating through a like a community hospital so i'll have a lot of time to figure out what i want to do and even in pharmacy like there's a lot of options so once you figure out that first step there's so much more that can be figured out after that so never stop gathering that information lifelong learner preston lifelong learner well Today's show is sponsored by us, the Short Code Podcast, because I have some of these pretty sweet acrylic pins for y'all, and I want to give them to you, listeners. Three ways you can get yours, Short Coats. Two of them are free, or you can just buy one. Uh, to get one, head over to theshortcoat.com slash pin, and uh, please know that I am so grateful to you for listening, Short Coats, and for supporting the show. Listener Briley wrote I like that to, name. I think that's kind of cool. It's fun. She wrote to us a while back. She's reapplying to medical school after having been severely unprepared for her first attempt. She is taking a gap year. I don't know what she's doing, but here's her question. 
On a recent episode, one of the students mentioned that several of their classmates were also reapplicants and spent their year off doing incredible things. I was wondering if you could invite any of those individuals to speak on their experience in their gap year. With the timeline of applying to medical school, it seems as if my gap year experiences won't be as valuable to my application, since I will reapply in late summer early fall of this year. I would love to hear advice and perspectives regarding the timeline. Looking forward to hearing from you. Hope all is well. Thanks for your question, Briley. I don't know what you're doing, Briley, during your gap here, but we do get this question from time to time. And uh, first of all, I'm sorry, I couldn't invite people who had incredible gap year experiences. Uh, I, that's not how this, that's not how you guys sign up for things. You just sign up for things every week and you know, you're here, but did you have any incredible gap year experiences? So I actually was in similar shoes myself. So I graduated college from Mizzou in 2020. During my senior year, I applied to medical school. I didn't get in. I think I had applied to like 12 schools, got two interviews, rejected from both post-interview. And then in 2020, right when literally one month after I got my last rejection, COVID hit and all of like my shadowing and all of my opportunities just like went down the drain. So briefly to address the part about the timeline, yeah, the timeline is kind of a little finicky because you literally get rejected in like February or March and then you're expected to like submit your primary in May or June and you're like well great that's only 2 months to improve my whole shit to, yeah. to to like improve my like my whole shit rewrite my entire application which I did by the way and that sucked having to do that a second time and then you have to rewrite all of your secondaries again which also sucked and you also wait through everything again and that sucked. So to start off, I'm really sorry you didn't get in. It really sucks. But to answer your question, typically in all of like the secondaries or in most of them, there's either a prompt that says if you are a reapplicant, explain what you've been doing or what you're going to be doing. And that's where you could fill out, okay, this is what my plans are for this upcoming year. Or there's typically another prom that's like, if there's anything else you'd like to let us know, let us know here. And that's where I would put in like my, oh, this is what I'm doing during my gap year thing. Which for me, what I did during my gap year was, let's see, in March, whenever COVID hit, I started volunteering at a homeless, sh at a homeless soup kitchen because all those places kind of shut down. Churches weren't being a thing. And so I made a bunch of food for homeless people like a couple times a week. I signed up for an EMT class, which was surprisingly still in person. And then I also applied for a job and I became a scribe for a year. So I was working as a scribe and as an EMT for about six months at the same time than just as a scribe for another six months. They aren't like incredible experiences just like on paper, but it really kind of depends on like how you spin them and kind of like how you grow and how you interact with them. Like for instance, if you just get an EMT license and if you don't do anything with it, well, that looks okay. It, it looks okay, but it also looks like you just got an EMT like license just for the sake of having it on your app or whatever but if you got like this emt license and worked on the trucks for six months to a year then you're like hey i got this emt license because i want to help people or whatever reason you have and it looks a lot more legitimate because it is a lot more legitimate because you put in the work for it too 
And you likely learned things from it that you can talk about. Oh, yeah. Like passionately in an interesting way. Yeah. And like and like even if you're doing this stuff for maybe like one or two months, I was like filling out my secondaries in like September ish, August ish, which like I was like, you know, doing this stuff for maybe two or three months at that point. Already, my answers had gotten a lot better. Like I was already putting in anecdotes of being on the trucks, like inside my like stories for my apps. I was already talking about like specific patient interactions or whatever, like during interviews that I had later on in like February and in January and stuff. And like, it was a really, really big upgrade. Like for reference to one of the schools that I applied to the year prior, they asked a question of like, how do you work in a team? And I think I mentioned like some project I had in undergrad English, which isn't really that impactful. But then like a year later, I got asked the same question. And this time, instead of talking about my undergrad experiences, I was like, yeah, so uh, here's this time where there was like a multi-car crash on like a freeway. And then I was in there with my ambulance. I had, I had to interact in the team with the, with the police department, with the fire department, in order to like, you know, triage patients, get them out of there. I had to interact with the patients to figure out what was going on with them. And I also had to interact with the hospitals all and like with all the other ambulance units to figure out how we were going to get these patients back to whatever hospital they needed to because of like various like you know like spaces for like trauma bays and all that stuff and that honestly sounded a lot better it's and a better story it's a better story that you can tell and that really reflected because here i am now yeah yeah, and as someone who knows Happy pretty well, this definitely wasn't just like a thing for him to like pat his stats or look better on paper. Um, he will always talk to us about like some of his time on the ambulance or his time in like the family medicine clinic. And like, if any of you listeners out there want to hear about it, definitely come find him because there's never a never a dull story with this one. But. Going back to like the prompt for a second, something that you like may or may not know if like you obviously do because you've already applied, but the application process is really expensive. Like it is way more than I was like expecting. And so one thing that I would recommend for everyone out there is just like don't apply if you're like kind of like wishy-washy or if you're not so sure like it it's a it's a very expensive process and it's a very lengthy process so like happy said it really sucks when you get rejected say in march april and then you have to and you're expected to apply again and hey what are you going to do in those in those time you know in that very short turnaround time so i was very fortunate enough to not have to take a gap year i just graduated in may but a lot of my friends unfortunately were not so lucky and one of the things that that was really that was told by like admissions committees including ours was if you're not ready don't reapply you know it's just like the we there is no rush there is no rush it feels like there's for some reason it feels like they're a rush for y'all type a person i mean you know we always joke about being type a people you guys but slow down if you need to you may need to take you know you may need to not apply the very next cycle and that's fine that is okay and and you'll benefit greatly from the time that you don't spend applying until the next cycle or maybe maybe even the cycle after that it's cool it's all right and it's just like we'll I welcome said, you with open arms yes we will no, it's just like i said earlier like when you're applying you need to not only convince like adcom that you are deserving of being there but you need to convince yourself and I know sometimes, especially with those quick turnarounds, it's really hard to convince yourself that you've done enough to prepare. Mm-hmm. 
And so taking that extra year is definitely a possibility to like recenter yourself, have that new perspective to know why you want to go. And like the difference between retiring when you're 67 or 68, um, really not that big of a difference in the long run, but having that like rejuvenated focus will make the years where you might be a little insecure, maybe become more insecure, more secure. Yeah. Also just a good time too to remind anybody who's applying for their first cycle of, you know, I've seen stellar applicants not get in, you know, their first cycle. Sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Numbers game. It is, it, a, it is numbers a numbers game. game. And so for people who are, you know, starting that process now, it's so easy, especially if you're just a fourth year undergrad, it's so easy to get into that senioritis. I'm, I, my applications are in, I'm going to do nothing this year. Like I can just chill, but maybe take a step back and think about, okay, well, if I don't get in this cycle and I want to reapply next cycle, what should I start doing now so that during all of fourth year, I, I have something else that would amplify my application when I do decide to reapply next year rather than taking, you know, 10 credits one semester and eight credits the next semester and just like watching Netflix and going to the bars, like maybe try and think about what, what would actually benefit your CV a little bit also because, or, you know, maybe start thinking about, you know, if I don't get in, what, what's my next career option? Like what, what job would I actually be happy having for a year? Because then you might want to at least start looking around at the application process for, for those types of things as they can take a little bit of a little bit of time as well. And, and, and don't, I feel like we sort of touched on this today, but, but don't stress out so much about having a job that directly applies to your future as a physician. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of jobs that you can do out there that you can talk about during your application that will show that you, you know, have got some chops. Customer um, service. Customer yeah. service is a great <laughs> one. I mean, you know, it sounds, I don't know, it sounds kind of lame when you talk about, when you, when you just say, oh, I worked in customer service. You're going to be very good at retail. dealing with people's bullshit, which right. is what you're going to yeah. be dealing with for the rest right. of your career. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I've said I said this on the very last show. I, I used to work in in public transportation and I learned a lot about teamwork. I learned a lot about interacting with the public. I learned a lot about managing people. I it was the single, you know, back then it was the single best job I'd ever had. And I could talk passionately about it for hours because I loved every minute of it. If that's the kind of job that you can get, get that job. You know, like I, I think it's I think it, you just have to be able to talk about it passionately and convey your enthusiasm for what you've learned. Also, it may actually just having any job may actually give you insight into what having a job will look like in residency and not in terms of a work ethic. But I've met a lot of people that have no idea what a Roth IRA is, what a 401k <laughs> is, what payroll taxes are, what all of these things are that you are going to have to, you know, you, you're going to be an adult one day. That's why I got married, and, and Kenzie, students, so that I don't, don't have to know. <laughs> yeah, anything. my husband does all this stuff. I'll, just, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I just figured out what payroll taxes are. <laughs> so this, this was me learning this yesterday. <laughs> but... um. I med there's some something that someone told me once that med fourth year med students are actually some of the most vulnerable um, individuals in terms of financing out there because they they go from taking student loans to making money in residency 
and making actually a pretty decent income of 60 grand a year. And then having a f- having a future income that looks that looks very super good. tempting. And having suddenly all of these options that people are like, "We'll give you a loan for this. <laughs> we'll give you're going to be a physician. Your credit card max is, you know, thousands of dollars. $20,000 credit mm-hmm. card max and mm-hmm. and it feels nice to finally buy that car. And actually take a loan on that car and and ends up being a lot of people end up in very dire financial straits, partially because they just never, even as physicians making a ton of money, partially because they just never learned how the world actually works. And so most of the people that had jobs prior to med school that I've talked with actually seem much more responsible in terms of the knowledge that goes into what do I need to do to make sure I put myself in not necessarily a successful financial position, but just one to like survive and not like end up even more in debt than what you may already have to be. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. Well, let's play a game. Oh, fun. That relates to this topic. The topic in my mind being how you can take a job, some random job, and spin it. Ooh. Ooh. And discuss it in a passionate way. Let's do it. So in each round, one of you is the interviewer. The other is the applicant. Interviewer, your job is to ask the applicant about their gap year in the most intimidating way possible. Applicants, your job is to talk about your gap year job as best you can in the most passionate way possible. And those of us not participating in the round will judge your success. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, so each of you can select one p- slip of paper from each of those cups in front of you. And you'll take a look at them and you'll string them together however you like into a job title. And, uh, you know, just remember what that title is. This was the comment on Facebook where I made the comment of like, you could fold socks and as long as you could spin yes. it, you could be successful, right? Yes. It's all about having a Kate. Kate is our, our writing uh. humanities director. <laughs> as long as she can, you have someone in your life who can do magic on your personal statement like she did on mine. She basically did voodoo on mine. It's a really good point. If you have somebody out. to bounce your your ideas off of and just really talk about what you... You fix know. your shitty writing. Like Can I mine? Google foreign vegetables real quick? No. <laughs> okay, I need sure. to tutor them. How am I supposed <laughs> to tutor them if I don't know any? All right. So while you do that, we're going to have Mackenzie be the interviewer. Oh, boy. And we're going to have Happy be the interviewee. All right. Mr. Happy. Mm-hmm. So you took a gap year in between graduation and applying for medical school. Do I understand that correctly? Indeed, I did. You did. Good. So rocked so it too. So you've actually entered the workforce <laughs> a little bit, and so you know a full year. You know that's you know a good three percent of the of the time you'll actually spend ever in the workforce. That's a pretty considerable amount of time. So can you tell me? Tell me. Describe your job as a uh, cleaner of Grandpa Generals, and tell me how that affected how how. You know, you see your life and also why you still came to the decision for reapplying for medical school. It taught me pride. Pride. It taught me discipline. Expound upon that, please. So I come from a military family. And with that, it gave me a lot of respect for the military. However, my job as a cleaner of Grandpa General is kind of really 
it really expanded upon that a lot. You know, every single day I would wake up and I would clean those grandpa generals. They're getting up there in age, but that does not diminish their accomplishments as great generals for the United States Army, all right? <laughs> I had to go and make them look presentable so whenever they go out to their mission briefings and everything, they look strong, they look powerful, and all the troops and even the president himself would look and feel proud of literally our nation's army and with that it taught me discipline in even cleaning these men every single morning <laughs> i realized and i was talking to them about their stories i realized everything that they accomplished everything that they saw and that rubbed off on me and everything that i learned kind of just kind of like reaffirmed my decision for medical school in the sense of i like taking care of these people these people accomplish a lot in their lives and if it wasn't for me cleaning them every <laughs> single morning then they wouldn't be able to do whatever they wanted to do and the our country would not be as strong as it would be without me in particular so I want to go into medical school in order to help these people, but in a different way. Not as their cleaner, but as their doctor. Whoa. Mm. <laughs> Applause. That's fantastic. So comments on Happy's response. I don't know. It's just really good visuals. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the I idea could... of these dirty, these, these, <laughs> these previously dirty grandpa generals rubbing off on you. That's a little unpleasant, but you know. <laughs> It's a visual I didn't really want. You picked the words. But, you know, other than, well, I didn't pick rubbing off. That's that's a whole different thing. <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't even get there. My mind is cleaner than yours. Good work, Happy. Thank you. Good work. Let's see. Who's next? Uh, let's have Matt be the interviewer okay. of Jacob. Jacob. All right. Thank you for coming in today, Jacob. Well, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. How was the traffic? Well, I rode my bike today, so not too bad. Awesome. For all the uh, pre-meds, that's called, that's called building rapport. Come to your PCS groups prepared. <laughs> you did it. Woo. You built rapport. All right. Anyways, um, I see here that you had a gap year. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. Yes. And you worked as a global trouble designer consultant. That is also correct, yes. Can you tell me what that means? Oh, I would be happy to. So it started out one day, I was walking around here in Murph, and people did not believe that I was able to dress myself. That is a true story, by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll come back to that. So, yeah, I, I decided that while I am very passionate about medicine, I love using the left side of my brain and pathways uh, and mechanisms. This is great. There's a whole other half of my brain, this creative side. And you know what? I'm like, I want to channel that frustration of not being able to dress myself allegedly and doing some global good. Also, as a mixed race individual, I want to not just you know focus my efforts here in a very homogenous place such as Iowa, but I want to take my efforts abroad and kind of pick up from places across the globe. So with my job, I'm fortunate enough to go into other global what did I say? <laughs> uh, designers who are who might be, uh, you know, on kind of the downslope of their career. They're in trouble, if you will. And I'm, I get to take the time to kind of see what's working for them, what's not working for them, and kind of spin that in a positive way so they can influence the next generation of troubled global designers. Wow. I appreciate it. Okay. What do we, what, how, how would we, how would we evaluate this? I'm, I'm still not quite certain what a global trouble designer do 
just picture me as like the Gordon Ramsay, but of like broken down fashion industry people. I see. I see. I like it. Nice. And so you yell at them. I'm kind of the bad boy of the textile industry. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Very good. I'm impressed that you got to the global level in one gap year. That's. It's not who you know. It's what you know. <laughs> Wait, it's not what you know. It's who you know. My bad. Oh man. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's let's flip it around. Then we'll have Matt be the interviewee and Jacob be the interviewer. All right. All right, Mr. Anglican, thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so it says here... More intimidating, please. More intimidating. I don't know if that's in my nature, but I'll certainly try. Perhaps you can work in the phrase, time is money, so let's get started. All right. If anyone has seen the Dr. Glockenflucken neurosurgeon, yeah, um, yeah, that is my inspiration. Yeah. Hmm. So, Mr. Anglican, it says here that you took a gap year. Is that correct? I did, in fact, take a gap year. And why was that? Because I tried to get in, and I did not get in. <laughs> okay. Start with that shouldn't be the answer you actually use on your medical. <laughs> this is like, why do you want a job working for us? Because I need money. I really like to eat. <laughs> We're really going through a lot of do's and don'ts today. You yeah. Got, you got boat or poor, and don't that answer. <laughs> All right. Okay, so can you talk to me about what you did during your gap year? Yeah, so I spent my gap year as a foreign vegetable tutor. Foreign vegetable tutor. Can you please elaborate on that more? Yes. So, as most of you know, and by that I mean you, the interviewer, know by reading my application. <laughs> Very good. I'm the only person in this world that matters. Yes. I'm from Iowa. like that for you. Here. And so, mm. you see people that will eat corn, maybe mm. the occasional soybean, mm. but really don't expand their palate. And it's really sad seeing people have, like, corn on the cob mm. every day, all year, for every meal. Mm. And, I mean, as much as corn on the cob is good with a little bit of, like, butter and salt, maybe, like, put some mayonnaise on so it. Um, I know. <laughs> we haven't eaten lunch yet. It's, it's nice to see that, but there's so much more that the world can offer in terms of vegetables that can really just spice up people's lives. I mean, you have things like bok choy, which go really well with Asian food, but there's some people I've talked to that have never heard of a tomato. And being able to explain that to people that even though it's a fruit, like, come on, guys, <laughs> <laughs> like, I need to explain to them kind of how to make their dinners and lunches and breakfast more exciting with uh, foreign vegetables. And to see these people go from like really bland, boring meals to cooking with a little bit of spice, maybe a pepper, also a fruit, but who cares? To take them to that level where they're cooking meals that are enjoyable and unique and fresh is something that just like I really enjoyed doing and I'm really excited to, you know, become a doctor and be able to give people that experience of like maybe they don't know everything about, you know, what they're going through, why they're in the pain they are, what injuries or illnesses they're having, but to be able to kind of spin it in a different light, give them a different perspective and then make their life a little bit more spicy like I made some people's lives, make some people's dinners a little more spicy. Nice. As Matt's roommate, I do appreciate that he does tend to make our dinners a little bit more spicy. Uh, (laughs) That's acceptable. Judgments. That was pretty spicy. (laughs) It was very good. All right. Very good. Let's do this last one. Happy you'll be the the interviewer for Mackenzie. So over here at the Carver College of Medicine, we have a lot of diverse students with a lot of diverse backgrounds and diverse gap year jobs, which, you know, 
doesn't really make you that special. <laughs> and, 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 and along with that, it's a wonderful school in Iowa. It's such a great place to live in, especially with the amount of corn you could eat. You could have it for every single meal. You could have a corn on the cob. You could have it with a little bit of salt. You could have a little bit of, of butter and all of that. I'm hungry. But to, <laughs> but to elaborate on your gap year job, can you do that? Was your job as a dynamic criminal, criminal attendant even that significant if there's not even a Netflix documentary or real crime podcast talking about you? I totally understand where it might come across that way. So I had the opportunity to work as a DCA. Um, I, <laughs> I worked for a DCA at the DA's office in uh, downtown Des Moines for a year, actually. And what my position was, was like I mentioned, I worked with the defense attorney's office and had the opportunity to meet and discuss the allegations against different people that had, I guess, were accused of certain crimes. And part of my job was to meet with the the defendants ahead of time before their lawyer had even met with them and kind of just get to know them, talk about them, listen to their story, and try to build a rapport with them in the hopes that they would be more honest with our team, including our defense um, our defense team, so that when it was time for to meet with prosecution, we had overall hopes for a better outcome. And you know, this is something that I had never really had the opportunity to do before. Um, the I decided to apply for it mostly because it was something a bit out of my comfort zone. I think one of my shortfalls last year when applying for med school was that I didn't have a lot of experience talking, especially with people that I had never met before and had a little, was a little bit intimidated during the interview process. And so decided to look for a job where I would be forced to talk to people that I had never met and listen to other people's stories. I also grew up in a really small rural town, primarily filled with Caucasian people, not very surprising in Iowa. And so I felt like this was also maybe an opportunity to get to meet a lot of different people that maybe were were like me or were not like me and get to hopefully have a better perspective on different people's backgrounds and different people's stories. I think it was actually very beneficial. I think I gained really great experience about building rapport with different people in a very quick manner that I think will be very beneficial as I meet patients in the future. I also think that, you know, I grew up with certain biases that hopefully I've helped to combat a little bit by meeting different people that have had difficult backgrounds. And I know as a physician, I'll be treating people that come from all different backgrounds, whether or not those are criminal backgrounds or just civilians. I'll be treating lots of people that come even from prisons. And it's important to develop like a neutral stance when treating those patients. So I think it was a really good experience. Beautiful answer. <laughs> I'm convinced you worked as a DCA. <laughs> did, did you honors mass? Like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. <laughs> I told you guys I just finished residency interviews. Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> we could tell. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done. Yeah. I would definitely admit you to the Carver College <laughs> like the only interview, all of you actually oh. there we go so, like, the only interview practice that like me and Matt and Jacob have had been watching like the woman tell all or the men tell all on The Bachelor <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong <laughs> and do we do this as a drinking game because that sounds like fun. oh I hope so <laughs> haven't we done that yet oh there's always next season July <laughs> well that's our show Matt, Mackenzie, Jacob, Happy thanks for uh, being on the show with me today of course. Thanks yeah. for having us. Anytime, Dave. And what kind of ding-dong would I be if I didn't thank you, Short Coats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. 
Uh, our editors are Maddie Walleen and Nick Lind. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying, don't let the bastards get you down, <laughs> Preston. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. 